turn to the eighth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Last week we started the eighth chapter. We ended somewhere around verse 13. So we'll pick it up there and get a running start into today's lesson. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Remember that chapter 8 is once again the woman wisdom calling out to people to follow the path of wisdom and not to follow the path of foolishness. Last week we discussed the fact that in about a chapter and a half, when we hit chapter 10, we begin to get the sayings of wisdom that most people associate with the book of Proverbs. You know, the individual statements about what wisdom looks like in particular situations. Up to this point, we've been doing introduction. We've been doing a discussion of wisdom calling out to us. Wisdom calling out, please come this way. We saw in chapters 5 and then again in 6 and 7, the adulterous woman, the foolish woman, calling out. So continually through the book of Proverbs, you have this contrast of these two voices calling to us to follow different paths, the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness. So last week we ended once again with the discussion of the fear of the Lord. So far we've seen the fear of the Lord is, to, is the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and now we see that the fear of the Lord is to hate that which is evil. It is actually a strong um, negative emotional response to that which is evil in the world because we recognize the impact that that evil has on the lives of people. So the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance and evil behavior and perverse speech. So we'll pick up in verse 14 for today's lesson. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me princes govern and all the nobles who rule on earth. Now I did have one individual last week that came up and was looking forward to covering verses 15 and 16, I think they thought I was going to have a nice political discussion about certain politicians having or not having wisdom. Uh, I think that would be too easy, so we, we won't go there. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. Wisdom gives us counsel and sound judgment. What is counsel? The ability to instruct others on the correct course in life. I don't know about you. I am constantly bombarded with people who need help. I, you know, I am a supervisor at work, and I've joked before that there are times when it seems that I'm spending half my time doing marriage counseling. It's like, wait a minute. This has nothing to do with what we're supposed to But people need help. They need counsel, and if we don't have the wisdom, we are not in a position to share counsel with them. If you remember Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount, where he deals with, why are you complaining about the speck in your brother's eye when you have the two-by-four in your own eye? Um, and most people look at that and say, what, what that means is we shouldn't point out to people specks in their eyes. We should just stop. 
Well, the verse goes on to say we need to deal with the two by four in our own eyes. And that's my loose translation. The plank that is in our own eye, we need to deal with that so that we are then in a position to help the other person. We need to apply wisdom to our lives so that we are in a position to help others. As I have repeated over and over again, as we work through the book of Proverbs, there's this natural tendency to read every one of these verses and think about how it applies to somebody you know. You know, it's so much more fun how this verse applies to that wretched neighbor that I have, how this verse applies to that wretched coworker that I have. It's only when we start applying it to our own lives that we are in a position to help others truly to deal with their problems. Wisdom has the ability to counsel others. I lost my place. Counsel and sound judgment. What is sound judgment? Come on, this is easy. Making right decisions. Something that has been proven. That is true. So, how many decisions do you make through the course of a given day or week? Well, if you're like me, you make hundreds. Now, if you're like me, you've made most of those decisions the same way over and over again, so you really begin to believe that you're no longer making a decision. But the reality is you are making a decision. When your spouse responds in a particular way and you react negatively to it, you think, ah, my spouse made me do that. No, they didn't. You chose a response. But you have chosen the same response so many times that you no longer believe you're choosing. You think it's just natural. Wisdom teaches us to make sound judgments, to discern what is right and what is wrong. We mentioned that verse a couple of weeks ago out of Hebrews where it talks about the mature are those who through constant effort have learned to distinguish right from wrong. That is sound judgment. In a particular situation, knowing the path that needs to be taken. Counsel and judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. I understand how things work. I don't know about you, but there's a lot in this world that I don't understand. Okay? Even some of the things that I actually do understand, I don't understand why people respond in particular ways. I know why they do it. It's called sin. But I don't know why they do it. Does that make any sense? Understanding helps us to see life as it truly is. Now, without the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge, without the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, we don't know life as it really is. As we attempt to explain the world through non-spiritual views, we can't do it. It doesn't make sense. We read the paper 
and we see the spiritual conflict going on in the world, and we think people just don't understand what is happening. Wisdom helps us to develop understanding so that we can deal with the world as it really is. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. Power is an interesting one to be listed there because we oftentimes view power very negatively. Power is my ability to force you to do something. If I can force you to do it, I have power over you. But power is really just the ability to get things done. And it can be good things, or it can be bad things, or it can be wretched things. Power is the ability to take that wisdom, that knowledge, that understanding that we have, and apply it and accomplish things in the world today. It's not impotent. It's not powerless. It is powerful. What does the scripture tell us about the word of God? It is powerful. It can accomplish its mission. Wisdom allows us to first off know what the right mission is. That's the sound judgment. And then work in that direction to accomplish that goal. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on earth. (sighs) Politics. Who wants to talk about politics? Nobody raise your hand. God is definitely in control. But let's look at two contrasting things, okay? Over in Romans, we see that the powers that be are in existence because God has put them there, okay? That doesn't mean they're good. It just means God put them there to accomplish some purpose. You know, any adult male can become a biological father. But you have to have wisdom to be a wise father. God may allow you to be the father, but unless you submit to God's wisdom, you will not be a wise father. God may allow an evil king to rise to power to accomplish God's purpose. Remember this long discussion in Romans about Pharaoh. Pharaoh was put in his place for God's purposes to be accomplished so that God's power could be demonstrated to pull God's people out of the control of Pharaoh. So God puts rulers in place, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're good and they're just. To be a good ruler, to be a good leader, official, and I might add this would be at whatever level of authority God has put you, to be good requires wisdom. Wisdom to follow the right path, wisdom to deal with the world as it really is, 
wisdom to see things as God sees them. Now, how many of you think that Washington, D.C. is being led and directed today by wisdom? Hmm. I, I don't see a lot of hands popping up. But you think I'm going to let you off the hook. But I'm not going to. We live in a representative democracy where we elect representatives to pass laws on our behalf. Just an innocent observation on my part. Who elected all those people who are in Washington, D.C., making laws on our behalf? Huh. The blind people? Or did you say blonde people? Oh, there's... You have a comment back there? Oh. We elected those people. You know, if you lived in a hereditary monarchy where the king is king because his father was king and he was king because his father was king and you have nothing to say about that, then you might be able to stand up with a straight face and say, well, I hope they have wisdom because we're really going to need it. We live in a representative government where we elect the officials. Now, how many of you have ever looked at any elected official and sit there and thought, how does this person demonstrate wisdom in their actions. It just isn't the category that we think about. At this point, we could have a long, a long, a long discussion about what wisdom looks like in particular, particular policy areas. And I'm not going to get into that because I try to avoid politics like the plague when teaching lessons. If you want to talk politics outside this room, we can have a lot of fun. But my admonition to you is this. We elect the leaders for certain reasons, and if our reasons are less than wise, our leaders will be less than wise. Yes? Well, that is an optimistic answer. <laughs> Did you hear her comment? Obvious. Her comment was that people your age have a tendency, huh? Our age have a tendency to look at candidates more from a godly character perspective than the younger generation. Therefore, it's all their fault. Okay? She said, <laughs> Mike says it may be true of our class, 
but it's not true of our age group. And I, I one moment, <laughs> because I would argue this position <laughs> against it. I would like to think it's true, and on, on a case-by-case basis, it probably is true. But the reality is, we are all looking after me, mine, and what can I get out of it. I had a nice, godly Christian woman, your age, ask me one time, when are we going to get mad enough to tell the government to do something about the price of gas? And I said, what do you want? And she said, I want gas to be a dollar a gallon. (laughs) And she wanted the government to force the price of gasoline to be a dollar a gallon. Uh, Yeah. And I would love for gasoline to be a dollar a gallon. I really would. But that doesn't mean I want the government sitting here pointing out that the price of gasoline should be a dollar, irregardless of what it takes to pump it out of the ground, ship it to, uh, you know, the rest of the story. If you did it, we wouldn't have any. Okay, I've got lots of hands back here. We'll start back there. Yes, the people elect the government they deserve. Go ahead. Oh, (laughs) you weren't smart? Yeah. Yeah. She got you. That was a good vote. You're right. I, I actually am not totally disputing what you say. I'm trying to avoid broad generalities. Go ahead. Oh, yes. We, we like ours. We just don't like yours. Go ahead. The party system doesn't allow what people are talking about. Why not? Because <coughs> the independent thinker who is wise didn't have the money to get into the two-party system. <sighs> Did you hear his comment? An independent, because of the two-party system, an independent thinker who is wise would not have the money to get into the two-party system. So you're saying we're doomed. I didn't say we're doomed, but uh, there has to be a few extremists voted for what we want to happen. Let, go ahead. <laughs> Let's look at one example. Okay, just one. Isaiah 10, 1 and 2, gives us a couple of verses about what bad leaders do. Okay? Proverbs chapter 8 had a couple of verses of what, what good, wise leaders do. Isaiah chapter 10, 1 and 2 says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights 
and withhold justice from the oppressed hmm, of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. The purpose of government, as we see in Romans 13, the purpose of government is to promote justice. We know, and we know this for a fact, that those of wicked intent prey on those who have no power. Biblically, the groups that are identified as those who have, have no power are the poor, the widows, and the orphans. These are people without the family connections necessary to protect their property and their lives. The wicked ruler uses this weakness as a tool to oppress the poor. Justice says that we stand up and we protect the weak and the poor from the wolves that would devour them. You remember when Job is recounting the good things that he has done. He has said, the widows and the orphans rejoice when I show up because I protect their cause. So, just one trivial little example. Those who are wise protect those who are powerless. Those who are wicked oppress those who are powerless. Now, now, the next step becomes very difficult, though. If you believe that it is the government's responsibility to make the poor not poor, then you have stepped across the line to what James says is the responsibility of the religious community. This is religion, pure and undefiled, to take care of the poor and the orphans. That is, what, that is what we, we are supposed to be doing. If you believe that the government doing that is the solution to the problem, then you're on one side of the political debate because you believe that the government is wise enough to deal with certain social programs. The purpose of the government is to protect justice. And trust me, the poor, the orphans, the widows need protection. There are those, don't get me wrong, there are wolves who want to destroy the weak. And the state holds the sword to stop those evil doers. But it is not the purpose of the state to solve all the problems associated with you and I in our individual lives. Please do. The, 
his comment was, the definition of the poor is, does not include those who refuse to take care of themselves and to do that, what, that which is right. I always remember, I, uh, I've used this illustration before, there was a pastor I was listening to on a tape, and his father had been a pastor. And he said, his father in his office at the church had a brand new shovel sitting in the corner. He said, people would come to the church looking for money, for food. I'm starving, I need money. And his father would say, great, there's that shovel. We need some yard work done. You do that, and I will pay you to take care of your family. And he said, no one ever touched the shovel. Just an observation. The purpose of the government is to promote justice, to protect those who need protecting. It is not the savior of humanity. And we can have a long, long discussion because as you deal with individual situations, you begin to, you know, there, there are real, in fact, gray areas. You know, is it wise to do this? Is it foolish to do this? But God has given us responsibilities, and when we do not fulfill those responsibilities, Others step in to do it that will not, cannot do it with the wisdom that God expects the church to have in dealing with certain problems. <sighs> By me kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. Wisdom, wisdom is necessary to rule well. You can rule without wisdom. You can be a wretched individual. You can be power hungry. You can rule for a variety of different reasons. But to rule well requires wisdom. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Once again, she repeats, she, wisdom, repeats the call that pursuing wisdom is of more value than fill in the blank with your particular treasure that you like gold silver wealth and we have a lot of discussion and we've had it in the last several weeks about this idea of bestowing wealth on those who love me and we i want to emphasize the fact that you know wealth comes in a lot of different things it isn't just dollars but sometimes in my quest to make sure that I don't follow, fall into the health, wealth, and, you know, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy syndrome, I avoid the fact that following the ways of God, for example, in business, is the smart thing to do. We're going to see as we work through the Proverbs that, you know, God calls us to be diligent in our work. He calls us to work hard. He calls us to be wise. He calls us to have knowledge. All of these things drive us to be successful 
even in business. So while I am not going to fall in the camp of God wants you to be wealthy, because we do live in an economy, external events affect the economy, etc., etc., and wealth is so much more than mere dollars, it does make your life better. Wisdom does work. And that's something that we sometimes avoid. We sometimes think wisdom is this strange, esoteric thing that only applies to the monk sitting on top of the mountain gazing at his navel. No, it works in the real world because God created the real world. Hmm, kind of strange. Verse 22 is an exceptionally controversial verse. And I would like to give you just a hint of the controversial nature. But let's read a group of verses and get a kind of a feel for what we're talking about. The Lord brought me forth as the first fruit, the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity from the beginning before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. (coughs) When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. (coughs) Who are we talking about here? We're talking about wisdom, and we're talking about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him everything was made that was made. John chapter 1, there was a sermon on it, was it last week? That's what it dealt with. But there's a problem with that interpretation. Verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first fruits of his works. (coughs) The Lord brought me forth. In the early church, you're right. In the early church, there were long debates about the nature of Christ. And this is what we've had in sermons the last couple of weeks. Is Christ God or is Christ simply, not simply, but is he a created being? Just like you and me just earlier. Okay? The Arian heresy says that Jesus is not God. He is simply created. Somebody else read the first sentence of verse 22 out of some translation other than the NIV. Go ahead, Marilyn. 
The Lord possessed somebody else. Formed me in the beginning. He was made. Go ahead. What is that? What translation is that? Okay. He, he, that one just avoided the whole problem. <laughs> the New Century Version, NCV. If you have the NIV, you have a footnote to verse 22. In fact, you have two footnotes to verse 22. It says this. Or, as a possible other translation, or the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his works. Or, it says, the Lord brought me forth. The word that is there can mean create, to make. Or it can mean to possess. The writers of the Septuagint, you all familiar with what the Septuagint is, the Greek translators who take, took the Hebrew Old Testament and about mm, 230 B.C. translated the Old Testament into Greek because most of the educated world at the time did not speak Hebrew. They spoke Greek. So they took it and they translated it into Greek and they used the meaning in the Greek to create the Arians used this verse to prove that this is talking about Christ, and Christ was a created being. He was not God. And out of that, we have, well, we have the Nicene Creed, which was the response to that, that we quoted at the end of last week's sermon. So, there's no place that it mentions directly that it's Christ, but it sure sounds like it. The context is wisdom. So, two observations to make about this passage. One, there is some discussion about what the word means. There really is. It is a legitimate discussion. So, if it is or if it isn't Christ... Should we use the obscure text to disprove what the New Testament clearly teaches, that Jesus is God? And we saw all those verses in last week's lesson. Secondly, the word possess in, carries with it the connotation that they are connected to each other. There is a relationship between them which does work fine. It is a valid translation of the Hebrew word, and it is a valid understanding of it when dealing with Christ being present with God at the creation and directing the order of creation. But to avoid all of that, at a minimum, we do know that this passage is talking about wisdom. We know that it's talking about wisdom, and we also know that Christ is, in fact, wisdom incarnate. He is wisdom personified. The key to this passage is not, is this a foretelling of 
the coming of Christ. The key to this passage is the understanding that God created the world through wisdom and that when we follow and practice wisdom, we are following the world as it truly is. As I have said repeatedly, as I said 15 minutes ago, wisdom is not alien to the world as it really is. It is, in fact, the only way to truly understand the world as it truly is because that's what was used to create it in the beginning. It is built in to the fabric of the universe. So, it's an interesting controversy. Books, 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 piles of books have been written on that particular subject. But remember, the New Testament clearly teaches that Christ is God. The New Testament clearly teaches that Christ was the instrument used in the creation of the world. And the New Testament clearly teaches that Christ is wisdom. So take that and go back to Proverbs chapter 8. And yes, maybe it is talking about Christ. But it's not talking about Christ as something created alien to God himself. This is God using wisdom, using Christ to create the world as we know it. Verse 32. Now then, my son, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. We'll pick this up again next week when we deal with chapter 9, which is the final discussion of the introduction about the folly of chasing after foolishness and the value of pursuing wisdom. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are wise. Thank you that you bestow wisdom on those who ask for it from you. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would pursue wisdom in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.